0: I expect that there are visitors from the area and some of you that I haven't had the opportunity to meet. And so I want to thank you for coming out tonight. As Bob has pointed out, a weeknight, I know that people are very busy, families are busy. uh, There's a lot of things that are going on and and you've had to set those things aside uh, to come and to open the Bible and to study with us. But I can assure you there is not anything that you could be doing better with your time than to spend it in the Word of God. You might be able to find someone that could teach it better, but you could not be doing anything better with your time than to open the Word of God with other Christians and to be able to study, to sharpen our minds together. And that's what we seek to do tonight. And in the end, that our Lord would be glorified in all things. And this is the reason, as Bob pointed out, that we want to do that. And if we're not doing that, if there's anything that we might be teaching uh, that is misunderstood or that may even be wrong, we're not above that, and so we need your input. Let us know what questions you have, or what we might need to consider, uh, or what I might need to consider in what I'm teaching this evening. But as you listen, I pray that you would search the Scriptures to see whether these things are so. And I wanna begin in Philippians chapter 1. We're gonna find our text there, and I'd ask that everyone turn to Philippians chapter 1. And the context is going to begin in verse 3 and go all the way down through verse 11. Paul writes to the Philippian brethren in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, and in defense and confirmation of the Gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all, with the affection of Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God." we're familiar with the context here, but I want to remind you as Paul is, is writing to the brethren here, he is speaking about his affection for the brethren there and his remembrance of them. And we understand that that would take Paul back to Acts 16 and the conversion of Lydia, the Philippian jailer, his time in prison with Silas and, and the, and the uh, uh, doors of the prison being opened. I'm sure that he was filled with emotion as he thought back and had remembrance of the brethren there. But then he also commends them for their fellowship in the gospel. And I just want to suggest to you that this is not just talking about the fact that they supported him, but also the fact the idea of fellowship is that idea of sharing. Koinonia is the idea of sharing and participating in something together. Now that happens when we support a gospel preacher, but I want to tell you the most important part of koinonia, of fellowship, of sharing that we can all do in the gospel is when we are all obedient to it. And I believe that Paul was speaking certainly at least about that aspect that the Philippian brethren were participating in their obedience to the gospel along with him. We're all in this together. Preachers don't have one set of rules, and, and, and members of the church have another set of rules. We're all obeying, all learning, all studying, all dining on the feast of God's Word, and he commended them for that very thing. But I want you to notice that he also speaks about his affection for them. He said he had the affection of Jesus, and I think that he's pointing out here that the affection he had for them was one that was sacrificial. A sacrificial affection that's the affection of Jesus and you notice in chapter 4 and in verse 12 the Apostle Paul speaks in chapter 4 and in verse 12 he says I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need as a matter of fact in the context of chapter 1 look in verse 7 he speaks about in his chains he was a prisoner as he wrote this letter And so it would be very appropriate for him to speak about the affection of Jesus when he is a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. He's saying, I know the love that Jesus has for you and I have that affection for you as well. And I want you to notice his prayer for them. His prayer for them then is that they would, that their love would abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Now, there's some reasons for that, and we're going to get to those in a moment, because this is going to produce something else. But I want you to notice, first of all, that he prayed that their love would abound. And let me say, our love needs to abound. In Colossians chapter 3, remember in verse 4, where Paul writes there, that above all these things put on love. Above all these things. Why is that? He says put on love which is the bond of perfection that word perfection is not sinlessness it is maturity it is the idea of of growing up and reaching its end so he said that you want to talk about the fullness of the bond that we need to have as Christians the foundation of that is love so above all these things he says put on love I think our love needs to abound don't you in 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 8 love never fails the idea of fails there doesn't mean that someone's love doesn't grow cold because we see that happen to the church at ephesus in revelation chapter 2. when he says love never fails he's in a context of speaking about spiritual gifts that will be done away with that will cease and it's in that context that he says love never fails he means love will never cease it is eternal we will maintain love for one another In the great by and by forever and forever and forever above all these things put on love our love needs to abound he goes on in 1st Corinthians 13 and says in verse 13 now abide faith hope love these three but the greatest of these is love and I want you to notice what he writes to the Thessalonian brethren in 1st Thessalonians 3 in 1st Thessalonians 3 notice what he says in verses 12 through 15 He says, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 through 15. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Notice that word abound. It is a Greek word that means to superabound, to overflow. And that's the idea here when Paul prays for them that their love would abound still more and more. Our love, no question. It needs to abound. But here's what I want us to really dig into in this text. Again, this passage here is one of those pearls that you're reading through it and you think, man, I know there's more there than what I've just grabbed You're going skimming over this. And you come back to it and you think, what is that idea of abounding more and more in knowledge and discernment? You know, sometimes we will talk to people about the Bible and we'll express to them, well, you know, the Bible authorizes this, the Bible says this, they'll tell us what they do, and we'll say, well, where's your authority for that? And, and, you know, the Bible says this about the plan of salvation, and sometimes we're accused of having a head knowledge, whereas others have a heart knowledge. You ever heard that? People say, well, yeah, all right, all right, Brett, you can quote a lot of verses, you got a, you got a head knowledge of Christ, I've got a heart knowledge of Christ. Let me tell you something. If you've got a heart knowledge of Christ, it begins in your intellect. It is in your head. He says that our love needs to abound more and more in knowledge. And that's the thing that is the aspect of love that so many people miss. They don't understand. To them, love is is merely a feeling. But he's telling us that proper love, biblical love, is not an ignorant love. It is not just a feeling that doesn't know what it's doing, but it just feels like it needs to do this. When we have biblical love, we know what we love and we know why we love. When I study with couples, uh, before they get married, if I'm gonna do a wedding, we're gonna have quite a few marriage classes before that wedding. And one of the things that I'll ask them is, do you love one another? And of course, they're always just, oh yeah. You know, they can't hardly talk. They're just smiling so big. And then I'll ask me, tell me why you love him. Tell me why you love her. And I catch them flat-footed sometimes because I, they haven't really articulated it. Now, certainly many couples can tell me in, in beautiful ways why they love one another. But it's amazing how many times a person has thought, well, I've never really thought of that. I just, I just do, you know. I just, I can't, I can't put it into words. I just, I just love them. Well, you better be able to put it into words. Because I'm going to tell you, after you get married and after you have children, there needs to be some solid facts behind your love. That is what you're going to build upon. As a matter of fact, you think about loving God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. That's an intelligent love. Our love is not blind. Our love is not merely a feeling or an emotion. He says here that our love needs to abound. Yes, let it, let it abound, super abound, but abound in knowledge and In all discernment to abound in love and in all discernment that's interesting isn't it discernment is the ability to judge well it is the idea of perception our love is discerning and what that means is that our love is the kind of love that sees both danger and potential I say both of those because I'm not saying you need to be a negative Nancy about the love that you have. I'm not saying that you need to think, oh, man, Chicken Little, the sky's falling, everything's going to be bad. You need to see the potential, but young people, you also need to see the danger. That's the idea. You can have that feeling that you would call love, and there can be tremendous danger in that relationship. And if your love abounds in knowledge and in all discernment, it will discern, it will see that. And I understand that may not sound romantic, but that's the kind of love that will bring two people together that will stay together. That's the kind of love for brethren upon which churches are built and they are solid. That's the love that we need. The sad thing is that this idea of love is being hijacked. It's being misused to accommodate every form of error. Well, we just love one another. We're not gonna talk about that. We just need to be a church of love. We don't need to worry about crossing the T's and dotting the I's. We don't need to worry about what somebody is teaching about this or about that. We just need to love one another. That is not biblical love. Biblical love abounds in knowledge and discernment. And not only that, but we need to understand that people are hijacking it and making it into something immoral. This text is going to help us to understand the love that Christians are to have and the characteristics of that love. So what is a love that abounds in knowledge and in all discernment? And when we think about our love, the love that we have, we've got a love for God, we've got a love for brethren, we have a a love between husband and wife, a love of parents for their children, and then of course young people fall in love you know we we use that word fall you know like you trip over something and you just you're just there and it feels that way there's no doubt about it I want to look at just a few of these aspects of love and I want to look at them in light of this scripture and that's what I want you to do with me tonight I want you to be testing yourself examining yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Is your love abounding in knowledge and discernment as we look at these various aspects of love? And I wanna start at the beginning with that love that we just fall into with another person in dating and prior to marriage. This dating, this romantic love is so important, but I wanna tell you there is an empty aspect of love even in this realm. Look in Proverbs 7. We're gonna spend some time in Proverbs Go ahead and turn over there. We're going to kind of camp out in those first six, seven, eight, nine chapters here for just a little while. But I want to look in chapter 7, and I'll bet you're familiar with that. There was a young man in chapter 7 that we're going to read about, but I want to jump ahead to verse 18. We'll come back just a little bit, but I want to start in verse 18 and listen to what the immoral woman says to the young man that she is seducing. She says, she's a married woman now and her husband's away on a journey, but she says to this young man in verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. I wanna tell you, that is an absolute empty love. That is not love in any way, any shape, or in any form according to the Bible. The world calls it love, entertainment calls it love, the music you might listen to calls it love, it's not love. That's lust, that's selfish desire, that's all that is. But, but it's interesting that the Holy Spirit would, would word it this way because that's exactly the way that an immoral person is going to try to deceive the hearts of the simple by attaching a word to something that is positive that the Bible commends, and yet the very action is immoral and it is a combatant against God. It is against everything that is right. That is an empty love, but let's think about a love that has knowledge and that discerns. You go back to verse seven of this chapter and you're gonna see the, uh, the uh, antonym or the antithesis of love abounding in knowledge and discernment. It says about the young man in chapter 7, Proverbs 7, and in verse 7, I saw among the simple, that's speaking about the fact that he's he's foolish. He doesn't have a lot of knowledge. I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Reading from the New King James Version. He lacks something that's crucial. It is impossible for him to have love. In the fullness of the biblical sense when he is devoid of understanding because love needs to abound in knowledge and in all discernment and let's see an example of that what does that look like young people I want you to think about this because this young man was being swept off his feet by what I would expect would be an attractive woman now what what do we see about this how was he deceived you need to know this in verse 21 Let's jump ahead now to verse 21. He says, With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. He gave in. She had all the right words, she knew how to say it. Oh, she built him up, talked about how good he was. She'd been looking all night for this young man. Wow, he feels good about himself. Enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Verse 23, listen to how deadly this is. Till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her, listen, were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Did you notice that? All who were slain by her were what? It is so easy to think, oh, I'm not going to be taken by this. I'm not going to give in to that sin. And allow ourselves to put ourselves in a situation that is dangerous to put ourselves in a situation with someone of the the opposite sex that we're attracted to, and we're going to go to a place or be alone in private, and we'll say, oh, we're not gonna let anything happen. Uh, we're, We're both Christians. Whatever it is, I wanna tell you, all who were slain by her were strong men. There are some temptations that you cannot build enough bulwarks against to protect yourself, and you need to be doing that constantly Always in the the concepts of self-defense, always in that orange level, maybe not red, but in an orange level where you are constantly aware of danger because Satan is around every turn. He's going to be working on you. And this is what this young man did not understand, that her house is the way to hell descending to the chambers of death. And so I want to say that a a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment is going to know and discern, it's going to know and discern the dangers and the pitfalls of dating. I'm not saying that to make you say, well, I don't even think I want to date. No, we need to get to know a person before we marry them. Look, there are a number of different ways that can be done. Dating's not the only way. I'm not going to get into that tonight. But you're going to have to spend some time with them. How do you conduct yourself with someone that you have that strong of an attraction to, and it's growing every time you're around them? You're just drawn more and more to them. How do you survive that? This is real. This is legit. How are you going to do that? You need to constantly know and discern the dangers that are there and avoid those dangers. And there's a way to do it this is what we've got to do and I want you to just just note how often God warns us about this very danger look in chapter 5 Proverbs chapter 5 and notice what he says beginning in verse 1 my son pay attention to my wisdom lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey her mouth is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a 2 edged sword her feet go down to death her steps lay hold of hell lest you ponder her path of life her ways are unstable you do not know them you know what he's saying don't even try you think oh I'm gonna get this figured out you, you might think to yourself oh well I'm, I'm gonna be their Savior I know what's wrong I'm gonna fix everything in their life I know why this has happened he said you don't know them don't put yourself in that place you need to set some boundaries this is a place that you don't go and that's that he's not saying that about any one of the opposite sex he's talking about that person that is worldly on a level of immoral you need to let somebody else deal with that not somebody somebody who's falling in love with that person and incredibly attracted to that person you are not qualified and I would dare to say you're not capable so stay away from that in chapter 6 He says in verse 23, the commandment is a lamp. Chapter 6 in verse 23, and the law a light. He said, God's telling you these things. He's going to light up your way. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Now, a lot of these are metaphors that are used here. God is certainly not saying that there's a greater danger with immoral women than there is with immoral men. Young women, you need to take note of these same things. There are plenty of young men that are immoral, that do not have your best interest at heart, and all they care about is satisfying their own selfish desire. All of you young people need to understand that all of these passages apply to you, and the danger is there. That doesn't mean you need to run from, from uh, uh, getting to know somebody. It means that you simply need that your love would abound in a knowledge and a discernment. It's not gullible, it's, it's not naive, it's not ignorant. You know what you're doing he warns us in chapter 9 and verses 16 through 18 and then look in Hebrews 13 and in verse 4 he says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge God has so much to say about this danger of sexual immorality and there's probably not another time in life where it will be as dangerous to you as when you are unmarried With someone of the opposite sex that you're incredibly attracted to and drawn to emotionally and intellectually and that you have the charge and the responsibility to stay pure it's it's real and you need to know that because when you know that you're going to share with that person hey we need to have some boundaries here I care about your soul and I hope you care enough about mine we're gonna have some boundaries we're gonna have an agreement and when we, if we ever get even close to crossing that line, then we need to have a powwow, and we probably need to talk to somebody else, and we need to change something about the pattern of our conduct. That is the kind of knowledge and the discernment that you need to have. Because it's real, it's dangerous. I want you to notice, when we talk about those boundaries, look in Romans chapter 13. I want to I just take some biblical principles, and Romans 13's not talking about dating, but he gives us a principle here, That can be applied to a lot of things this is just a principle that Christians need to follow and in verse 13 Proverbs or I'm sorry Romans 13 verse 13 he said let us walk properly that's what you need to do when you're dating right let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness not in lewdness and lust not in strife and envy now listen to verse 14 but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And just think about that one. I want you to chew on that for a minute. Make no provision. The church here has made provisions for Jennifer and I to stay here and to be able to get back and forth to to the meeting and, and what that idea of provision is, that it is expedited, it's made easier. You you come to our house, we're going to make provisions for you. Uh, Jennifer will put out the nice towels when you're there, and and you're going to have all the little things that you need, all the little knickknacks that I wouldn't even think about. That's making provision. And what that does is it makes your stay easier. And he says, don't make Satan stay easy. Don't make provision for him or for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, what would that look like? What kind of provision might I make? For the flesh to fulfill its lust. Well, how about immodest dress? How about being with someone of the opposite sex that I'm already physically attracted to, drawn to emotionally, and now they're dressed in a way that is going to incite and explode that kind of lust? It's off the charts. And then on top of that, you go to see a movie. That is filled with sexual innuendo if not a a certain amount of nudity or there's filthy language involved. There's all kinds of lustful scenes in the movie. Don't you think that you're making provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust? If you're not sure, let me tell you, you are. You don't need to be going anywhere or doing anything that is going to stir and generate that. There are a lot of times that young people think that as far as, Uh, uh, Making out is concerned physical contact with a person that you're not married to that Well, as long as we don't go all the way, it's okay. You need to read this verse again Because I'm telling you that's exactly what that amounts to There is nothing in dating that is accomplished in making out with someone That's something that belongs in marriage All you're doing is lighting that fuse all you're doing is inciting that kind of lust and making provision for it and add to that first Peter chapter 2 turn over there to first Peter 2 and notice another one of these principles in verse 11 first Peter 2 and in verse 11 he says I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul that word abstain we know what abstinence is abstain means that you you are a teetotaler zero zilch nada you're not going to do anything that is going to stir up the desires that war against the soul. That sexual desire outside of marriage, it wars against the soul. We are living in an absolute epidemic of pornography. What has happened with smartphones and computers and the internet, I don't know that we'll ever be able to put that back in the box. And we're going to have to deal with that on a, I mean, this is a trauma level. This is the idea of needing to set up a tent and resuscitate people because of the extent of that. And so you need to understand that as you are dating today, you're dating in an environment that's different than the one I was in. And it was bad enough then. You've got to know and understand these dangers. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, I don't want you to think I'm I'm trying to be so negative here, Ecclesiastes 11 says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. You see that balance? It sees both the potential and the danger. He says in verse 10, Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart, put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth or vanity. God's saying, I want you to enjoy being young. He created us in a certain way that there, there are experiences that we have in youth that cannot be replicated, but you want to be able to look back on those experiences with joy and not regret. With, with joy and not with shame. So he's telling us, enjoy your youth, but do it with an awareness of what is there I am I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by the Song of Solomon in chapter 2 where the Shulamite girl in verse 4 she says in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 4 he brought me to the banqueting house his banner over me was love sustain me with cakes of raisins refresh me with apples for I'm lovesick sounds like a young woman sweet and then in verse 6 she says his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me and then in verse 7 as if She says, wait, stop. She said, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She has the awareness that there is a time and a place for everything. And that kind of physical desire does not need to be stirred up because once it starts moving, it's like a freight train and it's it's not going to stop on a dime understand have a knowledge and a discernment but let me suggest another aspect of knowledge and discernment that's not quite so negative but it's one that you need to be mindful of dating is not a sport people's hearts are involved people get hurt and we need to be mindful of that and look in 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 through 2 In 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 through 2 Paul said do not rebuke an older man but exhort him as a father younger men as brothers older women as mothers are you there younger women as sisters with all purity and when i talked to my boys about that they were like "Ooh, i don't want to date my sister (laughs) you know i understand that none of us would but what he's saying is that there is a way that you look at your sister There's a a way, you know, I can give my sister a hug, I can give her a kiss when I see her. Absolutely innocent. Not a thought, nothing there. And he's saying that you want to handle yourself in a way like you would with your sister, where you're like, whoa, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want anyone to think anything. No, I don't want anything there to be impure in any way. There is just a boundary, there is a consciousness of purity with your sister, And what he's saying is that you need to be that way with all the younger women. And Paul was a young man. And so I would say that as you think about this, you need to consider the younger women as a sister. And notice he said, with all purity. I understand what that means. When when he tells me to entreat an older man as a father, when I first started preaching, I got it. There's a certain way that I talked to my dad. Even if I disagreed with him, it was more of a question. It was, you know, you, you didn't make fun of dad. You, you, There's a certain way you talked to him with a tremendous amount of respect, and that guided me throughout my earlier years with older men, still does. By that same token, I understand what this means about the younger women with all purity, and young men, you need to understand that too. But I'll add to that Matthew 7. This isn't talking about dating. It's another principle, Matthew 7 and in verse 12. Matthew 7 and verse 12 is sometimes called the golden rule. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What does that have to do with dating? You know, the idea that dating is a sport and that you're going to break up before they do, uh, that you're going to break their hearts and who cares, that's just the kind of person you are. You need to care, because that's a serious thing. People are left with scars. It's not just something that you play with. You need to treat one another with respect and with purity. And coming back to the purity part of this, you might think, well, I I think we're gonna get married. Okay, after you get married, act like you're married, but not until then because no, you don't know that something might happen and you don't get married she's married to someone else you're married to someone else and now you've got to face them you've got to look at them across the congregation across the church building we need to protect the other person's honor and purity for their future mate because a lot of times You may be dating somebody that you end up being great friends with, and you're even great friends with their future mate. And they will love you and appreciate you for thinking enough of them, even though you didn't know who they were going to be, that you protected the purity of the person they're married to right now. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You need that consideration. Consider, keep in mind that purity and keep in mind their heart treat them the way you want to be treated don't humiliate them don't embarrass them that is a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment and that's a love that's going to stay it's going to be a love that you can look back on with joy but let's take it to the next level a husband's love for their wife obviously there's an empty love here a husband treating his wife with abuse and, and then claiming that he loves her, neglecting his wife for the selfish pursuit of work or hobby or career, whatever it might be, and claiming that he loves his husband, that he's giving her everything, he does all of this for her. That's not love. That is not love. No, a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment is a love that is going to know and discern her value. In Proverbs 31, in verse 10, Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, and he will have no lack of gains. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Husbands, do we we appreciate how valuable that is, that we can trust our wife. When she goes to the store, she's not going to exchange glances with another man there. We can trust her with the finances. We can trust her with the kids. We we know that she's going to do everything in her power to build up our family. She's going to have your back. She's going to teach your children to respect you. Money can't buy that. You just, there is nothing that compares to that value. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Take some time to spend with a man who has a wife that cannot be trusted and see the pain and the anguish in his heart. And I say that because if, if that's the case, if you're married to a woman like that, and I expect that probably all of us here are, let her know that. Let your children know that understand and know the value of who she is. Proverbs 18 and verse 22, the wise men there speaking about this value said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You may have to be married for a few years to really understand it, but I'm telling you, if you're married to a godly woman, you are going to be amazed. You're going to stand in awe at the grace of God that you were blessed. With someone to love you in that way, to support you, and to build a family with you in just that very way, God said it's not good that man should be alone, and He gave him a helpmeet. And men, we, we, Satan's doing everything he can in entertainment, in music, and yes, in pornography, to pollute your value of your wife. And too many men, and I dare to say too many men who claim to be Christians are getting caught up in this and thinking that if their wife is not willing to be worldly and more sexual like what women are in the realm of pornography that they just didn't find the right wife. I'm going to tell you, you've missed it. You've missed it. That is not where it's at. Now don't misunderstand me. The sexual relationship is absolutely crucial in a marriage it's important it generates and complements every other aspect of love it needs to be there it needs to be healthy and if it's not get help from faithful people but do not try to replicate what is in the world and what is in pornography and to think that if your wife is not there that you don't have a valuable wife because that's not where the value is found in those things as a matter of fact If you were to find a woman like that, then we would go back to the point we just made and the heart of her husband safely trusting in her probably wouldn't be there. You need to know and discern her value and you need to praise her for her value. In Proverbs 31, we just saw that her worth is far above rubies, but in verse 27, it says she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not a lazy woman and she's getting it done. You want to see somebody work, you just follow a wife and a mom around for a day. You just take every step she takes, bend over every time she bends over, pick up something every time she picks something up, make a bed every time she makes a bed, you'll want to go back to your job. He says she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. You know why they do? Because her husband also does, and he praises her. Husbands, we train our children to appreciate their mom. And when we do that, especially with our boys, we're going to train them to find someone like that and to show that value for her and to praise her. Because listen, the world is not going to praise your wife if she's a godly woman. If she is devoted to her family and to her husband and giving her all to making Keeping a home to the domestic responsibilities of being a wife and a mother the world is going to mock her decisions No one is going to have a special day for her So you need to make sure that you let her know in a genuine way I am so thankful for you and I see what you're doing and point it out Express it to her and what she's good at and what you appreciate And you tell your boys about their mom and and what she accomplishes and how impressed you are and you're going to raise boys that are not women haters and you do that with your daughters fathers you do that with your daughters and they're going to understand what a godly man looks like and sounds like and they're not going to marry a woman hater They're going to marry a man that understands and appreciates his wife. They're going to know what they should expect in a godly man, and they're not going to marry into a situation that's going to bring them anguish in most cases. We need to praise her, and then we need to manifest that love through sacrificial service. We need to to manifest that love. Ephesians 5 and verses 25 through 29, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, the wife is to be in submission to her husband. We understand that. But in reality, you know, when when Rehoboam was struggling with what to do, the people complained about the tax burden, and he went and he talked to the older men and he talked to the younger men and he took the advice of the younger men. You remember what the older men told him? He said, what do I do about this? They said, if you will serve the people, they will serve you the rest of their life. We have to understand that true leadership is found not in being served, but in serving. That's what it looks like. A wife is to be in submission to our leadership. Yes, we are the head of the house. But we express and manifest that headship in the same way Jesus did, and that is by giving and serving. That doesn't mean that we, are, 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 uh, that we become a little kid and we try to make our wife into our mom and we're just a, an ornery little kid that gets in trouble all the time. That's not leadership. We need to be the kind of leader that our wife will respect, but also that she can trust, that she knows that our authority will never be abused, ever. And you show that by sacrificial, selfless giving and serving. And finally, love that abounds in knowledge and discernment will know, our wife intellectually we understand we're not going to understand everything but please don't get me wrong we'll still wonder why does she put why does she hang that picture there you know i mean there's just going to be some things we don't get but as far as knowing her intellectually what she likes what she doesn't like what what her preferences are and we're going to know her emotionally what hurts her what makes her feel insecure what makes her feel like she's not safe and we're going to make sure that we don't ever allow that and we're not just going to know her physically that's going to be the kind of love that is going to build a marriage first peter 3 and verse 7 dwell with her with understanding giving honor to the weaker vessel how you doing husbands i bet you're ready for me to get to the next point aren't you but this is what it means for love to abound in knowledge and in discernment. Let's take a look at this parents in the little time that we have left. Parents love for their children. There's an empty love. Parents that have children just to, so their kids can play sports and maybe relive their life. They can live through their kids. They put them up on a shelf during the week. They farm their kids out to someone else. Or maybe they abuse their kids, neglect them, or they're just selfish. That's not love. That's, that's an empty love. But a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment knows and discerns their value. Listen to the uh, uh, psalmist in the 127th psalm. He says in verse 3 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Your children will be a crown on your head. There's going to be a lot of work getting there, but it'll be a labor of love, and it is more than worth it. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. I doubt that I'll ever plumb the depths of that figure. It's beautiful. It's amazing but I I want you to think with me about the fact that as parents we have a very small window of opportunity with our children and it goes by like that and what he's telling us is and I don't know if you've ever been involved in archery but I, I like to to hunt that way he says that it's like taking a child and and you're you're pulling them back and you're setting the trajectory and there's going to be a point in time when you let that arrow go and it's all going to come down to how you pulled it back and how you set the trajectory and after that there's going to be some things that you can add and you can help with but to a large degree it's over you're going to live with the consequences of how you handled that arrow i i, I had a friend that i hunted with out in eastern new mexico and Uh, He hunted primitive with a long bow and he made his own arrows and turned them and he was so attentive To the round of that arrow and the straightness of it And it was absolutely amazing the care he took with that and that's exactly what God's saying that we do with our children We see the value of what they can accomplish if we set them on the right trajectory but we've got to know some things and one of the things, parents, let me take just a little bit of time. We need to know the connection between love and discipline. And this, is, this has always been a challenge for young parents. The failure to understand the importance of what the Bible refers to as discipline. In Proverbs 13, verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son. You can't make it any clearer than that. I know that there's people who are going to go, oh, I, I know that's in there, Brett, but my child's different. My kid's different. Look, all kids are different. All, I had three. Every one of them's different. And every one of them needed more or less of this corporal punishment. But you know what? Every one of them needed it. Every one. My daughter, she did the right thing. She wanted to do the right thing, but there were still times... You know how daughters can get with their mom, you know, and sometimes you got to step in and say, hey, that's not going to happen anymore. And he tells us that this is a part of love. Don't misunderstand it. In hebrews chapter 12 he says in verse 5 have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as the sons my son do not despise that is to think little of the chastening that's a word that means scourging of the lord nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives now i know this is a metaphor it's not talking about family life but he uses it as an example, he says, our fathers chastened us as seemed best to them. He's saying this is the way it's supposed to be done. In Proverbs 19 and verse 18, he says, Chasten your son while there's hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 23 in verse 13 through 14, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. When I was a kid, I didn't know that. I thought I was gonna die that's part of what made it so effective (laughs) I didn't want another one but God and I'm so thankful to God he tells us this as parents so that we understand when you're applying the rod to their backside in the right way coupled with love they're not going to die the key is for them to think they might but they're not going to die they just have to understand that you're the parent and you're going to win you have to have that deliberate determination. Proverbs 22 and verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. That's because there is a powerful learning value in pain. Just enough, it needs to be measured. And it's always measured right by someone who loves their child. I don't need to to use corporal punishment with your children. (laughs) You know, I'm not gonna have the same amount of love for them that you have for them. It's gonna be measured properly when you love them. And let me say this because I I, I preach on this often because this is from the Bible and we need to preach on this. We need to remind young parents this is part of being a Christian, is to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and God says that that is done in part with corporal punishment. There is no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Your kid isn't different. They're different, like all kids are different. All kids need some measure of this but what I haven't always complimented this with and and I think I grew up in a home where I never doubted the love that my parents had for me and I never doubted the fact that they were going to do what they said they were going to do never did my dad say if you do that again I'm going to give you a whipping and not do it when I did it again he never lied to me ever that's why I believed him And that helped me to understand when God says that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He's not going to threaten hell and then later say, oh, I'm kidding, my grace is going to cover all that. God tells us the truth. Parents, you need to tell the truth. If you're telling your children you're going to do this. But here's the important thing. I knew that my parents loved me. And I know that some people grow up in a home where corporal punishment is there out of anger, not out of love. And that puts a sour taste in your mouth about it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not the corporal punishment. It's the lack of love that was wrong. Please understand. And, I, and there, when I was a young, young parent, there was a time when I thought, well, you just need to whip them. You know? That's just gonna fix it. It doesn't. It, that's only one part of it. You, need, you must have consistency. This, this training must be done with consistency, with a deep, genuine love, and with a deep, genuine interest and with a deep, genuine, determined will to win. Parents, you got to be smarter than your kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you got to get up earlier, maybe you need to read a book. But th- we got some kids out there that, man, they're, they're pretty good. They're going to fool us. Get ahead, stay ahead. And you need wholehearted devotion. But when I say that we need to know our children, I mean we need to know them we need to discern their areas of strength and build on their anchors and every one of them is going to be different and that we may have a kid that's like us and we may have another kid that we don't understand why in the world they like that don't ever let them know that you make sure that they know you're just as proud of them as the kid that's doing what you did when you was a kid that stuff doesn't matter what matters is that they bloom where they've been planted and that they become the best john that they can be the best Mary that they can be God gave them certain skills and we need to encourage that fathers demonstrate your genuine interest in your children because they know they can tell and it's going to leave scars on them if you don't we must have that discernment and that knowledge for our children well let me then quickly say As far as brotherly love goes, the same is true. There is an empty love that James talks about, and that is when we we say that we love a brother, but we don't really do anything to, uh, to help him. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled. What have you done? That's an empty love. That's not real. No, we need to have a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment, and that begins with knowing our brethren. We need to know one another. And that's that's where hospitality is going to come in. In Romans chapter 12, in verses 9 through 10, he said, let love be without hypocrisy. In verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another. In brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. And then he goes on in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We need to know what's going on in their life. And you're not going to know that by just saying hello and shaking hands out here in the foyer. You're going to need to spend time with them In your home, in their home, and elsewhere, we need to know our brethren. Hebrews 13 and verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Peter said that we need to be hospitable without grumbling. We need to be happy about it, because that's how we're going to get to know each other. But we also need to discern between matters of faith and opinion. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, he's talking about the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And his whole point was, don't do something that's a matter of liberty that's going to cause your brother to stumble. It's not a matter of faith. God doesn't care whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. Don't make that an issue between brethren. And we need to be able to discern between those issues. But then let me say that love does not overlook sin. He rebuked the church at Corinth in chapter 5. He said that they were puffed up. They were looking the other way instead of dealing with the sin that was right there before them. And he said in verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We need to love our brethren enough not to overlook their sin, but to lovingly address it As Paul did with Peter when he played the hypocrite in Galatians 2 and in verse 11. This is love that abounds in knowledge and discernment. Each one of these points could be an entire sermon, as you clearly recognize. So Paul's prayer for us, that our love would abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. But I want you to notice in that text, he goes on and says that we should approve things that are excellent. You see, love abounding in knowledge and discernment helps us to know what's excellent and what's not. Somebody said there can be no approving without first proving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test all things and hold fast that which is good. That is love abounding in knowledge and apply that to dating. We will and will not do some things. We're going to do those things that are, we're gonna approve of things that are pure and excellent love with discernment helps us to make a distinction between what is okay and what is excellent not all things edify he says that we need to do that that we may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ that word sincere literally means pure without admixture not double-minded and that we would be without offense that's how we're going to be able to stand before God with confidence in our relationship with Him, and that we may be filled with the fruits of righteousness. This is the kind of love that's gonna produce Christians that are actually reflecting Jesus Christ in the fruit of the Spirit in everything. Well, I appreciate your kind attention this evening. I've taken some extra time as I have in every one of these lessons, but I believe that we're dealing with things that are of such a serious matter in nature, and we need to look at them thoroughly. And we're dealing with things that pertain to our eternal existence. Where are you at? Where is your love at? The love that you have for the person maybe that you're dating or the the love that you have for your children, for your wife, husbands, the love that that you have for your brethren. How does it stack up against what the Bible teaches about love abounding in knowledge and discernment? I hope you'll make that application. If you're here this evening and you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, there is no love greater than the love that God has for you to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins, and the love of the Savior to come to this earth and condescend from His heavenly place, and to take on the form of a man to die and to shed His blood for you. But He's done that, and because of that, if you believe in Him as your Savior, as the Son of God, confess your faith in Him. Repent of your sins, and if you will be buried with Him in the watery grave of baptism, you can rise up tonight to walk in newness of life and have all your sins washed away. Do you need to do that? Everything's ready, and we can assist you with it. And if as a child of God there's anything you need to do to be right with God before you leave here tonight, do that. And if we can assist you, we want to. Whatever your need is, please come while we stand and sing the invitation song.